Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Lord, who will give me help so that I may rest in you? Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Do not hide your face from me. In body and in spirit, we worship God, our salvation. May we pray. Indeed, we stand before you in body and spirit, great God. We worship you and lay our hearts before you. For you see us as no one else does. You see past the imposter's masks we wear. You see beyond our posturing. You see us and know us and welcome us into this holy space. We long to hear again your words of salvation, even as we strip ourselves of the evil we have done and repent the heartache we have caused. Show us your mercy, O God, and accept our worship in body and in spirit. Amen. Let us sing now together hymn 370, Just As I Am. You may be seated. This evening, an inline reading of Psalm 51 and Psalm 103 become both our prayer of confession and our assurance of pardon. 
Please join me as we responsibly read, beginning with your voice. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the sins of my sins. Our God is merciful and gracious, slow to get angry and full of unfailing love. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. God will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. God has not punished us for all our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. God is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. You desire honesty from the heart. Teach me to be wise in my inmost being, for our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been before. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. For the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, those who obey his commandments. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our God is merciful and gracious. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Merciful God, your word is our way of truth and life. Increase in us knowledge and patience, kindness and holiness of spirit, genuine love and truthful speech, so that 
by your power at work in us, we may live even as we are dying and rejoice even in our sorrows. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joel calls the people to gather. And in the name of the Lord, we have gathered here this evening, not because we've heard the trumpet sound, that traditional call to come to the temple, but we have gathered because we yearn to know God. And knowing God in all of God's majesty, we are compelled to begin this fast of Lent, to rend our hearts and not our garments, to enter into the disciplines that help us to follow Jesus. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, says, We believe in our hearts that we should be Christ-like, closely following our Lord. However, few of us, if any, can see this as a real possibility for ourselves or others we know well. He goes on to discern that we need then to realize definite practical measures to implement in our lives that help us face this dilemma of wanting to follow Jesus and yet falling short in our practice of doing so. The church has lifted up spiritual disciplines as these measures Willard speaks of. The church points to practices that Jesus himself engaged in and commends to us. In the next reading from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus teaches a very practical theology for his disciples. The three disciplines he considers are almsgiving, or tithing, prayer, and fasting. And through them, he discerns the manner in which our actions in these disciplines interact with God to accomplish God's desire for all 
human life. For as Willard concludes, when we engage these practices of faith with the intention of the spirit that inspires them, there will be life-giving revolution in our personal lives and in the world. Let us tend now again to the word of God. Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. In our call to worship this evening, we began with some words from St. Augustine. In 395 AD, Augustine became the Bishop of Hippo in northern Africa. Still today, he is considered one of our greatest early Christian thinkers and leaders. He left the church with volumes of teachings and writings, and his prayer that became our call to worship tonight comes from his book, Confessions, which follows the account of his life and spiritual journey. Look again at the words we used from his prayer. Who will give me help? Again, he says, who will help me? Augustine cries out, acknowledging his sin and need for salvation. In Confessions, Augustine masterfully describes his desire for God, his desire to know God and to be known by God, and yet as hard as he tries, he cannot reach that state that place, that union with God on his own accord. Very early on in the Christian understanding of faith and life, Augustine taught that it was impossible for the person to choose what is good and to submit his or her will to God's. Based on his understanding of original sin and drawing from scripture such as Romans 7.15 where Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I do what I hate. 
Augustine claimed that we are slaves to sin and all are in need of God's grace. In theological anthropology, the author states that Augustine concluded that human nature has no intrinsic or inalienable power to do salvific good and developed his characteristic doctrine of the distinction of the nature of grace. In our own tradition, the church some 1,700 years later affirms something similar in our doctrine of total depravity. John Calvin in Institutes says, original sin seems to be a hereditary depravity and corruption of our nature, diffused into all parts of our soul, which first makes us liable to God's wrath, then also brings forth in us those works which Scripture calls works of the flesh. You recited in our Psalter reading from Psalm 51, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. But that does not prevent the psalmist from also pleading, restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. We know from studying Reformed theology that total depravity is only cured through God's irresistible grace. God choosing us. God entering into our lives to blot out our transgressions that we might live with a new and right spirit. Neither Augustine nor Calvin had a lot of confidence in the human ability to overcome ourselves. Rather, they lean into this foregone conclusion that we always fall prey to the works of the flesh and do what we hate and not what we love. Augustine even spends a tremendous amount of his time and energy discerning how he personally and all of us, in fact, wrestle against what he calls the passions of the body. In his book, The City of God, he explores how Weakness of will and sin will time and again turn the human heart to what he calls disordered love. And that disordered love is reflected in how we live, both bodily and spiritually, with a direction and a focus on ourselves rather than on the life-giving love of God. During this season of Lent, our intention, our focus, provides an opportunity to turn inward and explore what Augustine identifies as cupiditas. Cupiditas, we get the word cupid from, and it's the Latin word that translates as desire, passion, or even lust. These things, desire, passion, lust, they manifest in our lives, disordering our loves and causing a break or separation in our communion with God and with one another. So during Lent, we take some time to do the introspective work of examining our desires. 
as Jesus questions in the gospel reading tonight, are we giving so that others may know we are generous people? Is our desire some kind of self-aggrandizement? Or is our love ordered toward the other, the one who will receive blessing from our offering? Jesus asks the same question about prayer and fasting and indeed challenges us to think about all aspects of our discipleship in this way. Ultimately, where does our passion or desire lie? And how can we focus it or redirect it or reorder our love so that our intentions and our actions are one and the same? Spiritual disciplines or practices of our faith help us to do this inward exploration, but they don't stop there. Dorothy Bass, in her book, Practicing Our Faith, shows us how they guide us to keep those moral and spiritual bearings. She says that we yearn once again for a way of life that is whole and touched by the presence of God. Engaging in disciplines as we explore our own motives and passions leads us, she says, to encounter the possibility of a faithful way of life, one that is attuned to a present-day need and taught through ancient wisdom. So over the next five weeks, we'll share the opportunity to gather here in the sanctuary each Wednesday and discover or rediscover a practice that helps us examine our cupiditas, a practice that encourages us to repent or redirect our living, and gives us opportunities to practice our faith and grow in the presence of God through these spiritual disciplines. Next Wednesday, we'll also join together to dedicate the new columbarium in our graveyard and will discern the practice of dying well. How does the end of life shape our hope and lament? How does it shape our judgment and mercy, not only in our dying hours, but as we respond to the reality of human mortality? Likewise, in the following weeks, we'll also discover aspects including honoring the body, prayer, fasting, and communal discernment that manifest in us and for us communion with Christ. Tonight we begin to ponder deeply the importance of our physical bodies. It is through our bodies in this life that we sin, in which we are forgiven, and by which we can live our lives in Christ. We cannot divorce ourselves from our flesh and bone any more than we can separate God's love from our spirit. And while we'll specifically talk about how we practice our faith as embodied persons on March 8th as we honor our body, it is true that all of the disciplines share both a bodily and a spiritual component. On Ash Wednesday, we physically mark our bodies with ashes. 
It is a reminder and an acceptance that bodily we are dust, and to dust we shall return. What does that mean for you? How does that challenge you to live your life, even today? And when you feel another's hand upon your forehead or on the back of your hand as we impose the ashes, what sensation through your body do you experience? What is it to feel the touch of another's body through their finger? Tonight begins a season of discernment. And in this season, we hear Paul's call to discern the body when he teaches the church in Corinth about communion practices. As we seek communion with God and communion with one another, we must discern the body, both our physical one that we experience in this life and the body of Christ, the community of faith that becomes the place of transformation for our bodies and our spirits. While the mark of ashes will bear witness that we, in part, belong to the temporary, the symbol of the cross will testify that when our earthly bodies fade, the body's grace does not end. Lord, who will help me lest I die? Friends, as we enter into this season, this discipline of Lent, I offer you a prayer of invitation, a prayer for God's help. It, too, is a prayer from Augustine's Book of Confessions. Let us pray. Graciously hear my prayer, O Lord, lest my soul falter under your correction, lest I falter in confessing to you your mercies by which you have delivered me out of all my wicked ways. Grant this so that you may grow sweet to me above all the other allurements that I follow after. May I love you more ardently. May I cling to your hand with all my heart. Do deliver me from all temptation, even to the end. And now we join our voices together as Christ taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Those that would like to participate in the imposition of ashes, we will take just a moment to gather ourselves as best as we can in a circle around this center section of the pews, um, representing the body of Christ. So I invite you now, bring your bulletin if you'd like to participate in the liturgy, and we'll make our move.
In the mixture of ashes, we find both confession and pardon. For the ashes are made from the palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday, burned down to a fine ash, reminding us of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the proclamation that he is king of all, taking his rightful place at God's side. And yet Jesus did not become the earthly king that the people wanted him to be. He became the heavenly king. And so tonight we do not wave palm branches in glory, but we remember that it is through Christ and his glory that we have life. Mixed with the ashes is oil. And oil is a form, was an important form of anointing to show God's blessing throughout the Old and New Testament. We know that the oil itself imbues no blessing upon us. It is merely a symbol of God's blessing and God's grace in our lives. And when you mix ash with oil, you create a rudimentary soap, something for cleansing. And so as we gather this night and impose the ashes upon one another, we remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But we also remember and find mercy and forgiveness. This evening we'll share the imposition of ashes as the body of Christ. I'll impose those on my side, asking if they would like the mark on their forehead or on the back of their hands, and then they'll turn around and impose the person next to them, and it will go in this manner until all have received the mark of the cross. Please join me in our imposition of ashes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the Lord formed the human being from the dust of the ground and breathed into its nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. Gracious God, you have formed us from the dust. Dust we are, and to dust we shall return. May these ashes be a reminder that our lives are always in your hands, and that though we die, yet shall we live. Amen. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Would you like your hand or your forehead? Bill, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Amen. Lisa, your hand. Lisa, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Amen.
Even as we stand among the body of Christ, Lord, you have shown us once again that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Guide us as we pilgrim through this journey of Lent. Be with us in body and in spirit as we practice our faith in new and intangible ways. Bless now the work and effort of the hands that have prepared our meal tonight and the bodies that receive its nutrition. In all this, we give you thanks, great God. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>